0: You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno.
1: Welcome in to the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to this week's guest, the man who spent nearly... 20 years of his career in the psychological operations part of the US Army uh, with an interesting story to tell. Want to remind you guys of course to please follow some of the social media sites Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at hazardground at hazardground podcast. Uh, our Amazon promotion is up. It's live, it's running, so please go to our website com. Click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage. Uh it'll redirect you to Amazon. You can do all of your normal Amazon shopping. We'll get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then, of course, uh, we will donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show. Great easy way to help out veterans' charities all across the country just by doing some Amazon shopping, but you got to go to hazardground.com first. As well, continue to leave us Apple reviews, uh, help grow the show, give us a five-star rating. Certainly appreciate all the love and support that you guys are giving us. So please continue with that. Uh, and some of the better reviews we'll try to post on social media as well. But certainly love hearing from you guys. And, and uh, make sure you keep up um, with the Apple reviews because it helps grow the show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Forgot to mention that. Please uh, give a thumbs up to all the content there. Smash that like button uh, on all the episodes of the Hazard Ground that you see. It'll certainly help us there as well. Uh, no other further I feel like I, I keep running through the same announcements and I know there's something like important that I forget. And, uh, I do it after the show and I'm like, darn, I should have mentioned that. But anyway, uh, please feel free to contact us on the website as a ground.com. We've been getting a lot of guest suggestions as of late, which I love. Uh, certainly w- want to hear it. Um, we're, we're, you know, family members reach out because they want to hear their other family family members' stories without telling them. That's OK. We'll work through it. Uh, and, and I'm pretty good about convincing people to come on the show. So, again, hazardground.com. You can go to the contact us uh, page and fill out all the information there. And we'll certainly get your loved ones, family, friends and whoever else on the show. So we appreciate it. All right. This week's guest uh, spent 26 years in the United States Army, uh, retired as a colonel and spent the better part of his career inside the psychological operations or PSYOPs area of the U.S. Army. He's got one combat deployment to Baghdad uh, and the convergence of his personal life and military life lead to a very interesting story. Also, has wrote a book called Lessons from the Incline uh, to help people sort of whatever they're struggling with uh, in in an inspirational sort of way. I'm excited to hear his story. He is Jamie Ifaw joining us here on the Hazard Ground. Jamie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Mark.
1: Uh, full disclosure for everybody: uh, Jamie's another one of my uh, my my LinkedIn uh, contacts. LinkedIn, like the military, LinkedIn is awesome. Like it really is. You know, like when we first started this show years ago, we had to like search far and wide, you know, for for guests and use other people to give us suggestions and everything else, or other guests to send us names. i, I found that LinkedIn, the military community on LinkedIn, is very very deep, uh, and everybody is intertwined. And much like the military, it's it, it's crazy how small the community is so you 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 came across my feed through several other different people and I started looking up your story and your background and I thought it was incredibly interesting because I find psyops in and of itself very interesting um but you started your military career at West Point I should have mentioned that at the beginning uh was that something you always knew you wanted to do
0: you know no actually and I would say my decision to go there wasn't primarily based on patriotism so I grew up in West Virginia The son of a pastor, five kids in the house. We lived at the end of a dirt road. And basically, if I wanted to go to college, I was going to pay for it. And I, you know, frankly, high school was pretty easy for me. And I, I wanted a challenge. So those were really the two primary things that drove me to West Point were, hey, I want to, I want to go to college, it's going to be free. And I want something that's really going to challenge me. And of course, the patriotism came after that, but yeah, it was never a lifelong dream.
1: What did you know about the military at that point in time? Were any of your family members in, or anything like that?
0: Well, so my on my mother's side, she had a brother that was killed in Vietnam. Who okay. we knew that story, but really nothing much about it. He was he was a marine. Her dad was also a marine, but I I didn't really know him. My introduction to West Point was actually my older brother, so he went four years before me. Before that, I had never even heard of it. You know, when I saw the army Navy game, I thought it was, you know, soldiers in units that played football. Right. And so I, I hadn't heard of the academies. I had heard of West Point, but didn't know what it was. Then he went, you know, I, I visited him a couple of times. I'm like, this looks fun. It wasn't fun, but it looked fun at first.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun, different definitions of fun across the board. So yeah. you had a little bit of an idea of what to expect when you got there. I did. Did at any point during your freshman year you think you made a bad decision?
0: No. You know, I, I think when you do hard things like that and you've made up your mind, I'm the type of person that that tries not to second guess, and I do not give myself the option to drop out. And so if I was going to leave, it was going to be because I couldn't hack it, I couldn't make the grade, that type of thing. But I never, I never thought I made a bad decision. Now
1: you signed up way early pre nine eleven. Like I got in, you know, two years before nine eleven. So you you were in a in a time of relative peace. Did you just intend to do now? And for those who don't know, West Point is a five year service obligation, not a four. Um, but did you just intend to do your five years and then get out and go on with the rest of your life?
0: Well, I definitely never intended to stay in for twenty six years. <laughs> I mean, none of us ever do. <laughs> it, it was one of those things where I said, "Hey, this is pretty fun." I'm having a good time. When it stops being fun, when I stop feeling like I can contribute, I'm gonna get out. And as you know, Mark, the, the military has it very well crafted to kind of string you along, whether it's a promotion or an assignment or a school. And you know, before I knew it, 20 years have passed, 26 years have passed. I'm like, oh, I guess I guess I'm making this a career. <laughs> so uh
1: you end up branching into the engineer corps. Uh right. And your first unit is at 2ID. Um,
0: Actually, my first unit was at Bragg.
1: Was at Bragg? Okay.
0: So I was a, I was a, a lieutenant at, in the 82nd Airborne. So my first okay. duty station out of West Point was Bragg. Gotcha.
1: I had it backwards. Um, and then you end up for company command at 2ID. That's right. Now, yeah. 2ID Fort Lewis or 2ID Korea?
0: Fort Lewis, 3rd Brigade. before. Okay. Right before while I was there, we were starting to transition to strikers,
1: ah, yes, the good old striker brigades yes, yes. Uh, th- th- those were the days <laughs> and um, again, again,
0: that was pre nine eleven and yeah you know, a lot of us both at West Point and in our first you know our our first assignments, we kind of have the idea of you know what am I training for? We're never going to go to war, we haven't gone to war, you know what right. you know how wrong we were.
1: Yeah, uh, dead wrong. So, uh, I mean, anything of significance that like you think happened during those years formatively for you as a leader, as an officer or anything, I mean, you know, I I don't want to just fast forward too quick through it. I want to get to obviously nine 11 and where you are, but you know, some of those younger years are so, there are so many things that stick out to you that you remember so succinctly, uh, and with such clarity that sort of stay with you for the rest of your career.
0: Well, I think two things that brag was, you know, anytime you're, you're in the 82nd or that type of unit, which is a good first unit to be in as a, as a lieutenant because you really see what excellence looks like. Uh, the other thing I would say at, while I was at Bragg, I met my wife. So that that was a good thing. She was a nurse up in Chapel Hill and all of us lieutenants would go up because you had, you know, you had Duke, you had UNC and you had NC State. It was a target rich environment for the weekends for us unmarried, <laughs> unmarried lieutenants. Uh, And I would say the last thing is, so I did not go to ranger school prior to my first assignment. I went from Bragg. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of things about ranger school. But I think completing that course and getting my ranger tab, that probably went a long way towards me staying in. Uh, Just that credibility that you automatically get and and the cohort and the friends you make. Did you want to go? Well, I did not want to go at first, okay. and so I had the opportunity at first. But then again, kind of like going when I went to West Point, I, I got to uh, I got to brag. And the first unit I was in was not the 82nd; it was a a map uh, a mapping unit. So engineers draw maps, and yeah. you can you can imagine how exciting that was. <laughs> and so I was like bored out of my mind. I'm like, can I go to Ranger School? And again, it was something I, I just wanted something hard to do to test myself. And it was, it was hard. Did you end up recycling at all? So interestingly, I recycled in the mountain phase. And so that was, I don't know if you remember, but that was when Haiti kicked off. And my unit was deploying to Haiti. My S3 called Ranger School, pulled me out of Ranger School for two days because they said they wanted me to deploy. Then they're like, no, never mind. We want you to finish Ranger School. At that time I had, I had missed too much. I failed knots. I didn't even go to the field. So I recycled uh, Mountain Phase. Boy, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I got to eat a lot of blueberry pancakes. Well, that's what, that's what Mountain Phase is famous for. Uh, I, I
1: suppose there's an upside, silver lining to everything, right? Uh, yeah, right. Nonetheless. So you end up getting your Ranger tag. Now, where are you on 9 11?
0: So in 9 11, I am in graduate school. So, okay the army had selected me west point had selected me to come back and teach in their psychology department or as it's known behavioral science and leadership so it's a leadership and psychology department and so i was back at in north carolina i was in chapel hill i was driving to class listening to the radio when the first first plane hit the tower and i don't know I don't know how I knew, but I, I knew immediately that it was a terrorist attack in my heart. I mean, I didn't know, but I knew.
1: So, okay. So you, wait, you're going back to school at this point in time. Right. Um, yep. And you're getting your master's degree here because obviously you already have your bachelor's from West Point. And at that point in time is when you choose psychology?
0: So they choose for you. Um, the,
1: army, the army chooses for you.
0: Basically, they're like, hey, you're going to go back and teach psychology. So go get a master's or a doctorate in psychology.
1: Okay. So you, it had nothing to do with Psyops at the time. No. Like, you not didn't yet. know what Psyops was at the time.
0: No, not at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you had some affinity for psychology that you wanted to do it, but West Point decided you were going to be a psychology teacher.
0: Well, I had majored in psychology at the academy, and I had done well, and they kind of earmarked me for coming back if it fit in with the time Uh, and everything. Yeah,
1: they looked through your transcripts. Oh, here's a smart guy. We'll bring him back. There you go. The pains of being intelligent. You see what happens? It's like my best friend always told me. When you're dumb, people don't expect things of you. Uh, It's true. There is a truth to that. So did you think – Right with 9-11, like you were going to be diverted and end up going somewhere else. I mean, ultimately, I, spoiler alert for everybody: you don't end up getting you end up at West Point. But did you think at the time you would?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of us did. We we all called our you know student command and like, hey, you know, either asking, can we can we go back to a unit? Can we go? Can we deploy? Of course, no one was deploying yet, right? So this is September, but I would I would say they kept. 95% or higher of the students in their place. They maybe wow. pulled out a couple key personnel because there's also, you know, there's all ranks in school. There's Lieutenant colonels. I, I know of one who did get pulled back to a unit to be an S3, uh, but no, they started nope, we want you to finish and you're gonna go on to your West Point assignment after that, so.
1: So yeah. now you're teaching psychology at West Point. Are you thinking like, what am I doing? Like I'm wasting my time here kind of deal? Is that how you're feeling?
0: Um, not totally. I, I, not that I was wasting my time. I felt more like I was missing out.
1: Right. Well, that's what it is. Yes, yeah. I,
0: yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> in reality, the kids you're teaching probably get to combat before you do. Yeah. In some cases. And, and you know, and they want to know what's next. And I didn't know, I mean, I couldn't tell them from experience. So, and and the other thing that I was realizing is that, you know, I kept in contact with my combat engineer buddies and, I would know what they're doing and know the next job. They're all gearing up for their majors, their majors job, which, you know, S3, XO, that type of thing. And I'm thinking by the time I get back to the field as an engineer ready to be an S3 or XO, I will really been out of the Army for five years. Because when you're in graduate school and even when you're West Point, that's not the Army. That's very separate from the Army. You're wearing civilian clothes every day. Yeah, at, at school for sure. At at school, West, right, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, in the back of my mind, I was also a little worried that, you know, am I going to be able to hack it and contribute and, and that type of thing after five years going into a, you know, a now a war fighting unit.
1: Well, and again, it's that whole sort of iron sharpens iron, right? Like if you're around other soldiers who are training and you're training, everybody gets a little bit better. When you sort of step away from that, your blade becomes a little bit dull, and it takes a little of uh, revving up to get back into everyday uniform life. But again, you're teaching at West Point, what ends up being three years. Right. um, Right. Through about what? 2005, 2006.
0: Uh, Yeah. 2005, I think. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then what happens next when you're done with your West Point tour?
0: Well, so, so I got promoted to a major while I was at West Point and at the time they had functional areas. I, I think we still have those. And psychological operations was a functional area at that time. And so I thought to myself, hey, I've been out of engineers for five years, but I've been focused on psychology for five years. Let me go into that functional area. So I put in for that functional area. I got it. And then shortly after, it became a branch, a very small branch, but it became a branch uh, under special operations. And I got sent back to Bragg. So second tour back at Bragg. Went through SWIC Special Warfare Center. So um, went through the pipeline for psychology, then spent six months studying Arabic. And probably two or three days after I got out of the pipeline, I deployed and deployed to Iraq.
1: All right, well, let's, let's back so the audience can understand this because I don't, you know, there's, like you said, it's a very small specialized branch, and there's not a lot of people. I think on on, on the surface, we all can understand psychological operations and what it is. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm curious how much of a departure it is. Like you're learning psychology. The benefit of psychology in theory is to have information to learn how to help people understand what they're feeling, how they're fe- you know, it's all for helping. It's all for making people better. For lack of a better way to phrase it, PSYOPs is about manipulation.
0: Yeah, I would use the word influence, but yeah, manipulation. Yeah, okay,
1: sure. Yeah, let me, yeah Again, yeah. No.
0: Yeah.
1: okay. <laughs> we'll play nice in the sandbox. Yeah, influence. AKA sure. um, a- a- getting people to do things they might not want to do, okay? Um,
0: yeah. All right. Well, so, so to be clear, my yeah, the, the type of psychology that I specialized in was not like, hey, Mark, sit on the couch and tell me about your mom. It was more of why do people do what they do? How do people react in group? Almost like marketing. I mean, marketing is psychology, right? Yes. Okay. So, um,
1: but now, again, so you go through this military course on this, but you're taking things that seem very pure and innocent, and now they're directed in a way that is supposed to have a desired outcome to leverage us on the battlefield.
0: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Did
1: any? I'm just curious. Not that I don't think it would, but like, did any of that have? Was there any moral conundrum in you that you're taking this thing that was used for X and you're sort of using it for Y?
0: The moral conundrum is not when I would use it in the military. It would be if I were to use it now in civilian world to help corporations make money. Ah, but. But to achieve Americans' objectives, absolutely not. I, right. In fact, I wish we could have done more than we were allowed to do. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it took more authority to get a message released in psychological operations than it would take for a B-1 bomber to drop a bomb.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can imagine, and I'm sure we'll get into this in a moment, but the person making that decision doesn't have the actual background to make that decision, right? Like they don't have a psychology degree. Right. They're just commanders who militarily want an outcome. But, you know,
0: well, everybody got a little shy with the whole concept. I don't know if you remember, but the strategic corporal, right, where a corporal could say something on CNN and it affect national policy because, you know, information is power and saying things that reverberate. So people were very, you know, gun shy, if you will, even though we weren't using weapons on what kind of message and could it be traced back to us and and you know just from the questions you ask there's always the the tendency of uh, this is a little you know brainwashing type stuff do we want to be known for that so people are kind of hesitant to use the full spectrum of our uh artillery
1: and again well i i, I can sympathize um you know because I spent a small portion of my career in the public affairs world and messaging, mm-hmm. messaging, um, you know, it, it, it's the same desired effect, right? I mean, it yeah, is influencing the media and the public in the public affairs world to have a narrative and a story, whereas you are influencing and uh, you know, messaging the enemy or other Combat, non-combatants on the battlefield to feel and think a certain way about the American mission. So I, I get it, which is why I, I kind of knew the answers to the question. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, again, on my side, I just generally I think we do messaging wrong. Uh, I, I don't know the whole lot of psyops and what you guys would go through. I'd love to find out here in a moment, but I would just say again, I, I don't. I, we are way too defensive in our messaging at times uh, as opposed to offensive and proactive. But, you know, again, that's a completely different conversation. All right. So you end up in Baghdad. Uh, what is your psyops mission there? What are you told? What do you, what are you on ground to do? And uh kind of help set the stage a little bit for the context of, you know, cause this is what 2006 when you get there, right?
0: Yeah. 2006. So uh... we
1: are just about preceding the surge.
0: Right. So I was there during the surge. Yeah, it, it was in the middle of it. You know, things were, those are the days where, you know, we we're seeing double digits, if not triple digits, U.S. deaths daily. Things are not looking good. Uh, it, it's bad news. Um, the surge begins. So I'm, I am, I am, co-located attached if you will you just talked about the public affairs to the US embassy public affairs office okay. and i'm leading what but is you're in co- the green zone right i'm in the green zone so the old US embassy was one of Saddam's palaces there in the, in in the green zone yep. and i'm leading a what we call a a MIS team a military information support team so it was me leading um i want to say four or five other PSYOPers, a translator, two translators, and our mission, one, working hand-in-hand with all information going around, but really at the strategic level, so we're not out there, my team's not out there with combat units, with loudspeakers, or dropping leaflets, or things like that, we're working at more of a national level doing billboards, or television commercials, or national unity concerts, or Things that are not overtly uh, persuasion or influence, but, um, you know, over time are.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I help me understand a little bit of sort of the echelons of this thing when it comes to psyops, because, again, you're working at a, a high strategic level, and and in parlance, you know, uh, people not in PSYOPs and even non-military people would understand strategically, our goal is to win the war. Operationally, our goal is to hold a certain, you know, area of land or, or battlefield space. And then tactically it is to suppress the enemy at the ground level, right? Like those are the three levels. It's sort of similar in the PSYOPs world, right? You have a strategic mission operationally and then tactically how you execute it on the ground. So. You are at the strategic level, but what what do you hope to affect at the very ground level?
0: From the strategic level, what do we hope to affect at the ground level? Right, yeah. So one of the big things, obviously, sectarian violence was the huge thing. So we were looking for unity within the country. Uh, one of our big campaigns was uh, we ran a tips hotline. So people would call in if they knew an attack was coming or a roadside bomb or or that type of thing and this was a national wide campaign that you know we ran we ran and monitored and manned a hotline we passed information on to ground units they would investigate uh so so things that had on the ground effect but they were nationwide efforts
1: i'll ask this question even though it's sort of loaded um Did it work? I mean, I know it's hard to judge that, right? Because uh, as we've said a hundred times, sometimes tactical goals and strategic goals don't always mean the same thing. Although they're all supposed to feed into each other up and down. They don't always mean the same thing. Um, You can tactically win a battle and strategically lose a war. Um, You know, so I I know it's a tough question to answer, but do your best. Like, just talk, talk through it for
0: me. I'm not sure anything in Iraq worked. <laughs> uh, I mean, so. Keep it so, again. you know, I will yeah. sit here
1: just in the same vein. I will sit here and tell you tactically a lot of the shit that I did worked.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah, you know it did. Abs- absolutely. Uh, so within within psyop, we had what we call measures of effectiveness and measures of performance. Okay. So and then that's how we would measure what we did. So a measure of performance may be, hey, we had. 30 radio commercials, 20 TV spots, and 15 billboards go up. But our measure of effectiveness is how many actual calls came into the call center right. that resulted in actionable intelligence. And, and that would vary and people started gaming. Uh, so I'm just using this as a specific example, because I think people can relate people would start gaming the tips line. So while we were hoping to get tips, you know, people would use it for revenge or to call on their neighbor or to, you know, to get someone from the other sect in trouble rather than what it was really intended for. So, again, right. the law of unintended consequences. So I I I can't really answer that. I know. Uh, definitively, I, I like to tell myself that I didn't waste my, you know, nine or 10 months over there and that we did good. I, I know I did my job, whether or not that job resulted in you know, us doing well on the ground. I don't know.
1: Was there ever a point where you had conflict with your boss, where your boss said, I want to do this. And you thought, no, that's bad. That's wrong. Or that's not the best way to execute what you're asking for kind of deal. Because again, there's such a subjective amount of room in your area of expertise I mean, you could have another PSYOPs person right there with you. You both could completely disagree on how to effectively message X, Y,
0: and Z, right? Sure, sure. yeah. Well, I don't have this specific example, but the, where there was conflict. So I, I kind of operated in a gray zone. So I was operating, officially I was part of the embassy, but I was also, you know, it's always a problem when you have more than one Bosch, right? And so there was a there was a general who was running the strategic level information operations influence campaign. And he would often, one, think I worked for him and I didn't. And two, want me to do things that were in line with his plan, but would contradict what my bigger plan and my bigger strategy was. And he never really saw the light on on. You know, I'm like, you know, just because you outrank me doesn't mean I work for you. And if you need me to do this, you know, you need to talk to the ambassador and get him to do it. Those are more of the conflicts rather than rather than, you know, same situation. We have two different ideas of how it would work. Yeah.
1: Can you think of a. Anything that backfired, like any sort of campaign or initiative that you did that backfired.
0: No, and that's not to say that it didn't happen. I'm sure it did. Right. Um. But no, and, and that would, if I did know, it probably still stand out in my mind. Right. That makes sense.
1: I mean, you know, again, and some of this stuff is so tough to judge. So I'm, I'm just sort of asking questions because I'm genuinely curious um, how it all unfolded. You know, and when you say there's a lot that went wrong uh, in Iraq, I mean, from a psyops perspective um did you get it more right than wrong
0: yeah I, I think from a psyop perspective i i think and i was never involved in this but many of my buddies were i think at the tactical level is where you know we had a lot of on the ground influence and you know and that's where you have loudspeakers or face-to-face communication and you're you're with a combat unit and you're assisting them and you can see immediately that what you're doing is helping. And so I, I think uh I think that is probably more satisfying and gratifying and more immediate effect. And I, I think overall definitely, you know, we were a force multiplier.
1: Any part of you that wanted to uh be a combat engineer in Iraq at that time, wondering what your buddies were doing?
0: No, but I, there were a lot of times where I wish I were. So my first assignment was supposed to be, um, when I was first told I was going over, I was going to be attached to a, a a Delta team. Mm -hmm. And I was really excited about that. Yeah. And then like two weeks before I left, they're like, I know what, we're going to send you to the embassy and this guy from your class, we're sending him there. So I often wish that I had gotten to do that. Uh, You know, it sounds sexy, but it's also because I know the guy who did it. It was a lot of fun. Um, And, you know, a lot of cool stuff, lots of cool stories. And he came out alive, so that's all good news, too. So I would have loved to have done that. You know, er the grass is always greener, though, right? He he ended up taking over my job for me, and it's all good. Did you
1: ever stop and think, or when you think back now, I guess is a better way to ask it, how much PSYOPs would change from what you were doing then in 06 and 07 to where it is now?
0: Well, really, it all depends on on the environment, right? So if you're actually in on-the-ground combat, a lot of it doesn't change that much. But, I mean, when you think about you know stuff that's been in the news, like, hey, Russia is influencing elections and this, that, and the other, I mean, that is essentially influence operations in PSYOP. It's just in a different environment, right? What China does, that's PSYOP. It's in a different environment. So the technology has definitely changed what we can do and the reach and the immediacy of it and also the span of control. But the principles are still the same.
1: Sure. Um how does, when you're doing this at this point in time, does civil affairs like tie into what you're doing? I mean, was that even around then? Like was where was it?
0: They were around. They, they, I believe. They became a, a branch soon after us as well. And they were at Bragg as well. And people before, before the split, it was, we were like a joint civil right. affairs. You know, it was like one word, civil affairs. uh up. And so, there are, there are cases where we do stuff together, like the pipeline, when I went through the pipeline and then went through regional studies and, and Arabic training, half my class was civil affairs. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And again, I mean, it's, it's developed so much. I mean, you know, we got to a point specifically where we we're asking for females to do civil affairs for engagements and things of that nature, because they were necessary on the ground level. Uh, and, you know, crazily yeah. we thought that that might be something we would need that would all of a sudden we had to have this huge initiative push. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, it's just, I know the context of it being used, um, is, is, is super important to how effective it can be, but on the, on the macro level, you know, we, we do a lot more of this now, I think than we ever did before.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think of the civil affairs as the, the army's peace corps, right? You go in and you, you help, dig wells you put in electricity and you're building goodwill for the u.s uh is essentially how that and so that when you think about that that's also influence operations right you're trying to influence the population to be receptive to the u.s's desires and 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 what they want to do in that area
1: does psyops miss the mark anywhere
0: <laughs> uh, yeah
1: what was that chuckle for?
0: Oh, there's just so much behind that question. That uh, <laughs> again, it gets back to what I referred to a little bit before, which has to do with authorities and what we're allowed to do and what the approval chain is and that type of thing. But but expand on it then, like okay, look, you're out of well, here. I, I, yeah, and and part of the reason I don't I don't even I have intentionally like ignored what is going on in that community since I got out just because it, there is so much potential in psychological operation that hasn't been realized and I think everybody who has been in psychological operations will will agree with that and I I think because of everything that has gone on across the world in information operations and influence operations we are finally starting to realize the importance of it and bringing it up to the level you know, we're the, we're like the redheaded stepchild of special operations community, but bringing it up to the level of, Hey, we are always going to be in the information environment, even when we're not at war and we need to be prepping that environment and be active in that environment at all times and how important it is. And it's not just, it's not just influence operations, it's counter influence operations as well. So being able to counter what everybody else is doing. I mean, I, I, I never would have thought, you know, when I first came in, that we would be in terrorist chat rooms trying to counter the conversation within those rooms. You know, I don't that's know. That's kind of awesome, I think. Yeah. So di- different things like that. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a nugget I need to hear more about. Um, how do you, I mean. <laughs> I'm not, I'm
0: not sure if that's classical. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, then we'll leave. We'll, we'll leave let's it a let's, let's bit. move on. Let's move on yeah uh never mind that man behind the curtain so uh that's gonna stay with me for a while though um after Off-line. You, after you leave iraq um you end up uh as i understand it you know I, I think we talked about um your personal life is this where it intervenes with you taking it is. else? okay yeah. give, give, what's the story there
0: yeah so when i came back uh my battalion commander called me in and he's like so as you know in special operations community you command as a major And it's something you need to do in order to get promoted to the next rank. And he came in and he's like, Hey, good news. Uh, I'm giving you command. You're going to leave. in like, I don't know, it was like another four weeks. So I'd I'd be home for a month, deploy again. Well, at the time, my daughter, so I left when my second child uh, daughter and she was four weeks old, I left. And so I'm back home. She's like a year old. Well, while I was gone, she was, having all kinds of medical issues. She was having seizures. She, no one knew what was wrong with her. The, you know, the day after I got home, I'm at the hospital with her up at UNC Chapel Hill children's hospital. We don't know what's going on. And so, you know, I, I told my boss, I'm like, listen, I need to, I need to figure out what's going on with my, with my daughter. Right. And he essentially gave me the choice. He's like, he's like, I can, you can stay here. I can make you an assistant S3 or you can, you know, you can deploy and be a company commander and I chose to stay and so many people told me how stupid I was like hey this is going to end your career you're not going to get promoted and you know who cares right it's your it's your kid and so I, I decided to stay and as th- as things happened and turned out I ended up a few weeks later getting picked up by another battalion commander to be his S3, and then later his XO, which are also what we call branch qualifying positions, so qualifying me to get promoted. And uh, they, these are both in a unit that's supported from the rear, so we're the ones that did all the, recorded all the radio broadcast, broadcast things, did television, all from the studios at Fort Bragg in this big studio that we have there. And so I wasn't getting deployed at that time, able to focus on my daughter, Ended up figuring out what's wrong with her. And, you know, today she's a healthy 16-year-old, so. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, God bless, first of all. That's, you know, that was, uh, I, I couldn't imagine, you know. I mean, there's a, those are tough choices. I mean, it's not a tough choice to make. It, it's Obviously, you choose your family first. But, you know, you've dedicated uh, so much of your life to this craft right now that, you know, missing an opportunity like that. Had to eat yeah. even- little bit on the inside to say the least
0: yeah i mean that's what that's what you want to do that's what you train for and your whole i mean company commander is like you know it's the pinnacle up to that point in your life you're like right, right. you know you're commanding troops in combat overseas who would not want to do that
1: so what do you end up doing instead
0: So I end up going to uh, another battalion. I become the S3. I'm an S3 there for a year. Then I become the XO there for a year. And then it's time for me to PCS. And they send me to Germany.
1: Okay. Um, Like, not, I mean, is everything 100% okay with your daughter when they send you to Germany?
0: Yeah, so this is like two and a half years later. Um, okay. I've had I had a third kid by then. Okay. Um, it's 2000 2009. So uh, I, I'm going over there to be the the PSYOP officer for uh, UCOM, United States European Command. So didn't really know anything about it. It was Germany, got to take my family. This time, I By this time, I had a third kid, so we left with him when he was, I think, right. six months old and uh, in Germany for three years.
1: Okay, um, so now you're doing... I, what is PSYOPs in a non-deployed world, I guess, is the, the easiest question I can ask because it's so targeted towards... I mean other than pushing teams down range to do it right on your own like I'm sure under your command at that point in time you you sent people down range to do it um, but is that all is that all basically that's
0: happening <laughs> no we were still running influence operations in europe <laughs> actually oh, okay uh, so i uh broughtsa
1: brought worsesa
0: yeah there you go so there was two there was our primary Area of focus was the Balkans. We ran a website called Southeast European Times. We started the first influence social media Facebook site. Um, nobody had done that in the military at the time. We started with with zero people. Got it up to five hundred thousand by the time I left. Interestingly, uh, I was speaking at a conference and we were talking about the penetration we had in Albania. So one out of every three people in Albania was a was a reader of our Facebook page. Oh, wow. And, and the question was, and this is way before, you know, so this is in like 2010, 2011. Like, do you think if you wanted to, that we could have an influence in Albanian politics and elections? And the answer was absolutely. We never, obviously... You know dipped our toe into that realm because that wasn't our job or you know we're not allowed but you know fast forward a few years later and you can see how that technique has been used in you know all kinds of situations american politics other politics that type of thing but we were i'm proud to say we were kind of at the cutting edge of of influence operations with social media when I mean, you think about it 2008 2009 social media facebook they were still kind of baby companies
1: yeah, no, I mean, again, it, it's, um, you don't realize how fast they've grown, um, because they're such a part of our everyday life. Uh, but you're right. I mean, remember Facebook, you know, this is 2009, Facebook's five years old,
0: right? Yeah. You
1: know, it's not even that old yet. Uh, so, uh, I can barely walk if you will. <laughs> um, that said, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing all this cutting edge stuff, um, are, are you at the point where you're feeling like, you know, your military career is endless at this point? You're going to keep going on? Like, are you thinking about, you know, where you want to go next, what you want to do?
0: So at that point, I'm waiting to see, A, if I get promoted. So I'm a major. Well, am, I, am I going to get promoted? If I get promoted and I get a good assignment after that, then, you know, hey, let's, let's see where it takes us. So I was waiting to see if I got promoted. Then I was also waiting to see if I got picked up for an O five 5 command, exactly. both of which happened. So, you know, again, I'm like, okay, let's see where it takes us. And this time it took me to Virginia Beach. Uh, not a bad place to go. No. So it was, uh, it was not a psyop job. I was a, uh, a, basically a post commander at a joint naval base. The Navy was a lead. So it was joint base, Little Creek Fort Story. I had the Fort Story side, but I was deputy commander of the joint base. Uh, and that's where I started getting a lot more interactions with uh, you know, the Naval Special Warfare community. They would do a lot of training and had training facilities at, uh, you know, several of the teams are at Little Creek, Dam Neck, and they would do training at, at Fort Story. So they, I think the Army had intentionally kept special operations officers in that billet just because of that interaction. Right,
1: makes sense uh, yeah. because of the joint interaction. Because so much of, <laughs> you know, uh, special ops is it's all joint. You know, there, there's no, none of them operate, or I should say, very few of them inter- operate independently. But again, um, neither. And even if they did operate as one branch, they're so specialized that they would need regular army support anyway. So uh, it's it's joint in every size, way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, all right, so y- you stay there for a couple of years. Um, you got to be at around the 20 year mark at this point in
0: time, right? Um, let's see. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I am. I think I hit 20 years. Yeah. So 2013, I hit 20 years and I was at. So, yeah, at that point, at that point, I think I'm staying in. Right.
1: Yeah. You've, you've certainly committed to it. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and then you end up back in PSYOPs as a branch chief, which, again,
0: um yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. the job that nobody ever wants or asks for, right, is to be the assignment officer for your branch. Um, so that's at what we call our Human Resources Command at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Beautiful Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I'm I'm there for a couple of years. Get told I'm going there. Um, I I got promoted to 06 while I was there, so that was a good thing. And it was actually, I, I did not want to go, but it was actually a very interesting assignment just to see how the assignment process worked and both the diligence behind it, but sometimes the arbitrariness behind it, to see how the promotion system worked, to see the interaction with Congress and Department of the Army and, and just the politics that are involved. Uh, you know, it really was a peek behind the curtain and, and is, the,
1: is the underbelly as dirty as it feels?
0: Um, no, I don't think it's as dirty as it feels. I think everybody really has good intentions, um, but, what? It, but it can get political. I mean, there is defi- definitely politicalness and there is definitely, you know, there is there is something to be said for who you know and who advocates for you. And, you know, I could have an assignment all lined up, but if someone of a certain rank says, I want Johnny, and my boss tells me, give him Johnny, he gets Johnny. Yeah. That's assignments. Promotions are, to me, I think promotions are one of the things that we do best, and I think we're even doing it better as far as fairness and equality and that type of thing. Uh, it's, It's a very even though it's true that the board spends like five seconds looking at your file, um, probably more than that, but it it is a fair process.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. Um, it gives me me a little bit of faith left. Uh, that said, you know, again, I, I, uh, I use the phrase often that I need better friends. I I need, you know, (laughs) I need friends of Johnny who kind of, you know, want that uh I've never had that I don't think anybody's ever said I want Mark but that's more my problem than yours now again you have to you have to end up turning down command for a second time
0: yeah so so what happened well I was at Fort Knox my wife was diagnosed with um with breast cancer and you know at first it was just oh you know Do some chemo, do some treatment, blah, 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 she'll be fine. But then it came back again while we were at uh while we were at Knox. And this time it had spread throughout her body. She was stage four, it was in her spine, in her lumbar. And she denied conventional treatment. She's like, I am not gonna do this. She had done a chemo, her hair came out, and she's very athletic, walks every morning the couple of days after the chemo, we were out trying to walk. She couldn't even walk a block. She would it had knocked her out so bad. she's like, I am not gonna do this. She's like, this chemo will kill me before the cancer will. And so she went down the rabbit hole of alternative treatments. She figured out stuff with diet, stuff with supplements. She went to Mexico for four weeks. And so her numbers, her cancer markers should be below 36, right? And when she went to Mexico, they were at, uh, I want to say 109. When she came back, they were at 12. She was in total remission. Um,
1: Montezuma's revenge in Mexico, is that (laughs) how you do it? Just drink the water?
0: So there are all kinds of effective and alternative treatments that can be- In Mexico. In Mexico, right across from the border in Rosarita that cannot Cannot be offered in the U S ah, Those pes-
1: federal drug administrators, you, you guys.
0: Yeah. You know, big pharma insurance. I won't go on that soapbox, but so she got herself in remission. Um, we came out to Colorado Springs and then I found out I had been selected for O6 command. And the command was a, a command in Qatar where the Combine joint information they, support team. They just team. can't
1: seem to give you a command like <laughs> any place normal, can they?
0: No. I mean, if they had given me uh, a command to brag or if they had given me, uh, you know, another a garrison command, I, I probably would have taken it. But I, you know, weighing what was going on. So while well, she was. Well, off- hold on a second. Weren't you the guy,
1: the friend I was talking about before? Like, couldn't you have just called back to branch and go, I want this. And one of your friends said, okay, we'll give you this.
0: Well, you can, you can do that a little bit within um, like assignments, but when it comes to command, command is uh, something that gets approved by Congress. Right. And yeah, I mean,
1: it ain't like that on the guard side for the record. That's just the active duty.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So when you're, when you are stage four cancer, you're never, you you never don't have cancer basically and you know i have three kids still at home and i i even went over there my buddy was in command at the time i was going to do the rip toe with him went over there saw it looked great looked fun uh but i even i, I asked them like hey if i go can i come back to colorado springs and they're like no you'll be either at dc tampa or bragg and you know i'm like 24 25 years in i'm like I kind of like it here in Colorado Springs and my kids are growing up and my wife, you know, she's still struggling with stuff. So I just, so I declined command. And at that point, you know, you're not just the client command. You're basically saying you're ready to get out. So I was, I was ready to get out. I could have stayed in, I could have done 30. I could have probably done 30 here in the Springs. I was at uh sock North at the time, but it, you know, they say, you, when you know, you'll know. And I knew so. Yep. Decline command for a second time and decide to get out.
1: Okay. Um, So then what's, like, do you know what you want to do at this point in time?
0: No, I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you land? So I know, I know I don't want to, you know, push the easy button and become a GS. I know I don't want to become a government contractor and work for Lockheed Martin and, you know, God bless those people that do that. But I I just wanted to do something totally different, but I didn't know what that was. Okay. And so I really just, uh, I started, I, I found a transition program called the Commit Foundation, which they focus really on special operators and people that have been in a career. And they really helped me look at what do I want my life to look like after the military? And when you've been doing one thing your whole adult life, you really don't even know what's out there anymore. You, 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 it's just a lack of information. And so I spent a year in Colorado Springs just exploring what's out there, what's what's possible. You know, I looked into business, I looked into finance, I looked into teaching, um, but I ended up um, where I work now, which is at a Christian nonprofit that's headquartered here in Colorado Springs. I do that as pretty much my full-time job. And then I actually was picked up as a coach with the foundation that had, that had helped me transition, the Commit Foundation, and I, and I coached with them. And I've, I've been coaching with them for three years.
1: And the nonprofit you work for is called Young Life, correct?
0: Yes, Young Life. We're uh, an international, one in 105 different countries, uh, a parachurch, I think they refer to us, a uh, nonprofit organization
1: and i mean and the goal
0: is to what just focus on kids so the, you know the mission statement is introducing adolescents to jesus christ and helping them grow in their faith so i would say it's a christian version of boys and girls club um, it's you know it's a, it's a big organization we have all kinds of different ministries one of the things that attracted me to it is there's also a uh a military component to it so we have military community move uh military community youth ministry which is they refer to it as club beyond and so they they'll have this organization on post all around the world for military kids and the the other thing that was really cool is that in the summers they run family camps which are free for military members there's one in te- they do one in Texas, two here in Colorado Springs, and I think one for the folks out of Fort Lewis. They're really giving families, especially with where the service member is recently deployed, a free week together away from everything to to reconnect, get to know each other, spend good family time. I got to do it with my family. It's just an awesome experience.
1: What do you miss the
0: most about the military? Um, that's a good question. I think I missed the community. And a lot of people say camaraderie I, I, I think it's more than that. It's the whole community. It's the whole, you know, it's not just the people that I worked with. It's the families and the sense of one purpose. And, you know, several times we lived on, on post and how that feels. So I think the military community is is the thing I miss the most.
1: We've talked a little bit about this, um, but, you know, how much are you still in touch with people in the PSYOPs community and, uh, you know, the direction of where it's going and things of that nature?
0: So people that were around my cohort and my year group, I still keep in contact pretty much. But, you know, like me, most of them are now starting to get out or finishing up command. And so I'm not that in touch anymore with that community at all.
1: Um, at the risk of diving into the pool, we shouldn't. Um, but I only ask just because of your background. Given how the military has been sort of thrust into the political sphere more yeah. than any of us ever wanted to, I, in a certain sense, I feel like we're almost waging a psychological campaign against ourselves and trying to right the ship. Um, and and I know there, there, I, I would a hundred percent assume there's the desire to remove us from the political spectrum. I don't know that there's the appetite for people to put their careers in the line to do so though. And and I, I think that's a big problem.
0: Yeah, I think it's a huge problem. And I, you know, I can only hope that the people that you know, the 05s and 06s who who are in right now and that's making them sick, that when they get to those ranks, they'll change it. Uh, and, I mean, it, it needs, it has to come from the top. It has to be a refusal. We can't pander to, I mean, we have to remember, we don't serve and defend a political party or a president. We support and defend a constitution. We are the only country that defends ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, an, an incredible way to put it. Um, how would you say, um, PSYOPs and, and psychological operations, um, are, have changed to the point where how much, how, how much of the battlefield consideration are they for any, you know, infantry battalion commander uh, or brigade commander. I mean, I, I know at a division level, it happens all the time. At <laughs> least the conversations are there, but you know, how much, cl- here's a better way to phrase it. How much closer from the strategic level does it need to be to the tactical level for, for psychological operations to, to maybe have a greater effect?
0: Yeah, I think it needs to, it needs to always be the, a consideration. I think that, all the way to the battalion level, if you have someone advising on the planning team, um, operational, depending on depending on what the mission is, actual psyop troops attached to you. It, it's critical from you know, I'd say battalion level all the way up.
1: Um, you got you wrote a book.
0: Yeah, kinda.
1: <laughs> Lessons from the incline, uh, and this is actually done with one of your ranger buddies, right?
0: Yeah, so one of my uh, ranger buddies and classmates, who's also here in Colorado Springs, we were getting together, and you know, we're both kind of getting older and fat, and uh, we wanted to uh, we wanted to challenge ourselves. And here in Colorado Springs, if you know, if your listeners who have ever been here, there's a a place called the Manitou Incline, and it's a little less than a mile long. It's a set of railroad tie stairs. It used to be a funicular railroad and under like from in a little less than a mile it gains uh over about two thousand feet in elevation wow and so they tell you at the bottom to plan like walking two- up a wall at that point yeah some of there are there are places where it's like 65 degree um incline and they tell you at the bottom for tourists probably who come you know plan two hours to get to the top and so my buddy and i were like hey let's let's do this thing. Let's try to get it under thirty minutes, and uh, and to do that, we said let's meet every every Thursday morning at six o'clock and just you know push ourselves. So he and I started doing that. I want to say it was in twenty twenty. So this was during the uh, during the COVID crisis, mm-hmm. and we just started meeting every morning uh, all throughout the year. We did it for a whole year. We're still doing it. We did it yesterday. He and I did it yesterday and as i was uh as i was climbing you know i would never wear headphones we would talk sometimes but we'd also get separated and i do my best thinking when i'm outside when i'm doing some type of physical activity and i just started thinking about the the metaphor of climbing stairs and achieving hard things or setting goals and i started thinking about these different lessons that could be learned on on each trip that we took. And after a while I started going back and I would just type them into my computer and stuff. And they, they sat there for like a year. Um, Just, you know, I just did it for myself. Right. And then um, earlier last year around Christmas time, I said, you know, I'm going to put some of these on LinkedIn. And so I started putting like one a day on LinkedIn and then people are like, hey, are are these all in a blog somewhere? Do you have a book or something? And I'm like, no, I don't. And they say, can you? And I'm like, I don't know if I can or not. But you know, the great thing about technology and Amazon, I did not, I never intended to write a book. So I didn't want to like get a publisher or get an editor or all that thing. I was just going to put it together for people that wanted to read it. So I did the self-publishing thing on Amazon. I put it out. It's a short book. People can read it in one sitting if they want, but I've had other people who are like, hey, I really love reading like one lesson a day over a 20-day period. So there's, there's 20 lessons that usually come with a story. I've also associated them with uh, usually a, a principle or a Bible verse from the Bible. And there's questions at the end. So like self-reflection questions that you can ask and, you know, improve yourself on. So
1: is there any psyops in your book?
0: Oh, it's all psyop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of figured, right? I mean, I yeah, kind of figured yeah. this was, a, but again, this is not manipulation. This is influence.
0: Yeah. And influence is not bad, right?
1: No, no. I mean, it's especially when it's all positive, you know, yeah. um,
0: I save manipulation for a workplace
1: like, yeah. here, you know?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and your marriage. Uh, yeah, that, that, no, I kid, I kid, I kid, uh, don't do that,
0: but kind of not right.
1: No, yeah. I mean, I think in your case, you you you're probably better well equipped to know when you're trying to be manipulated uh, yeah. than necessarily being the manipulator. So, you know, I, I would use that edge to your advantage. I mean, do you find yourself still using psyops in everyday
0: life? I do. Yeah. I mean, I I know how my actions and others influence people, and, and a lot of times, you know, I guess, but I I do. Um, you know, it's easy to know pressure points of like my colleagues at work Mm -hmm. and they're all civilians. I mean, I'm a civilian too, but they're, they all know where I'm coming from. And so they'll be like, you're messing with me, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I am. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's
1: Do the kids know they're like, dad, don't try that psychology stuff on me.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) That's when you have to Jedi mind trick them, you know?
0: Yes. These are not the droids you're looking for.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you got young life, you got the book I mean you know uh settling in it look i mean you look back on on the twenty six plus years um you know a lot accomplished, I know you feel like there's not because uh, we talked you and I before before we, yeah. started, but you know the the depth of of what you did for a better part of your career is the there's there's a lot there um and and there's a lot to uncover, and I think that you know uh just understanding the nature of psychological operations means that there's a lot of, it, it, it's it's not something you can fit in a thimble it's deep
0: yeah and you know one thing mark that i was I was talking with a friend the other day is that you don't know all the weight that you're carrying when you're still on active duty and and I related it to you know when you're doing a ruck march like you know one of those. I don't know if they still do them, but, you know, like 20 mile ruck marches that you have to do in a certain amount of time. And when you first put on that ruck, it's really heavy. But by the end, although it's still heavy, you almost don't notice it's there until you take it off. And when you take it off, you're like, wow, I was carrying a lot of weight. That was really heavy. And for me, that's what it's been like with retirement is when I retired, I'm like, wow, I have really been carrying a lot of weight and it was almost liberating to be able to set aside that rucksack and let, you know, let the next generation carry it.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, again, it's something I'm struggling with now as I'm facing, you know, the 18th t box of my, uh, of my military career. Right. Um, it's it's hard to know. You don't want to put the weight down because you've been carrying it for so long. Yeah. You, you don't know what life is without the weight.
0: Well, uh, and, and sometimes you do miss the weight and which yeah. is why you Said artificial challenges, like climbing the incline every week.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need something to push you. You know, I I do want to ask you this, just given your psychology background, um, in reference to mental health and, and PTSD, and I'm sure you've come across it with several of your, your fellow, you know, classmates that you knew all the way back from West Point or whatever. But I mean, um, psychologically, you know, are are we better equipped now as a military to handle this challenge i look I, I in reality we're not at war again air quote not at war um anymore uh so there's a there's a whole generation of us from the global war on terror who dealt with com- i mean the folks who are still in combat now were those who um work in the clandestine operations world right mm-hmm. um and and I'm just caveating all this by saying there's a whole generation of young people who will go through their military careers, acknowledging PTXD exists, um, recognizing that, you know, you can get it uh and, and you can catch it as easily as you caught COVID or whatever else. Um, But we're also dealing with a military that's a lot more empathetic and understanding of it now, whereas that wasn't the case for our generation. Right. So, you know, but the military still has a long way to go in understanding the depth of this problem and how to solve it. So, you know, I mean, just sort of open comment, you know, I don't really know if there's a direct question, but you know, how, in your background in psychology, how do you know, how would you grade where the military is and where they should go?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. And it's a really hard question. The I'm not sure it's the military's job. I think it's, I think it's our job, you know, my job, your job, other people that are getting out. i got a buddy here in in Colorado Springs who just set up, you might've seen it on LinkedIn, call sign 2022, after the, you know, 22 people a day, military are committing suicide. Our, in my West Point class, our biggest cause of death of our classmates is not combat, it's suicide. And, and i think it's kind of stuff that greg's doing and and being able to call people ask them how they're doing you know helping them get purpose helping them get get the help they need letting them know that people care i mean the military is an institution but it's made up of people and i think it's the people that need to help the ones that are suffering i mean i i myself i've suffered with with depression you know off and on and I, I I wrote about it the other day on LinkedIn, and, you know, I hit it. My my wife didn't even know about it, right? And part of that I think is getting over this the stigma of it's okay to ask for help and not only ask for help to accept help when it's offered.
1: Yeah, I mean it it's, you know, I uh, I I've said this several times as I've shared a little bit of my personal story whether it's been five months, one year, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, uh, unpack the box, man. Um, figure out what's going on inside of you, unpack the box, sit down and, and, and go through it. There's a lot more in that box than you think there is. Um, yeah. you talk about letting go of the weight. Yeah. The weight goes away. Um, and that's the weight you do want to get rid of. You don't mind the responsibility of, of being a leader. You don't mind the, the weight of the responsibility of, of taking care of other people. That's sort of inherent in, in the way we're cut and how we're made in the military, but getting the weight off your shoulders of the one that's eating your life from the inside out is, uh, is the, is the one you need to do. So, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, it's, it's perfectly well said. Um, and yeah, the buddy system is certainly part of it. Yeah. Always pick up the phone, call a friend, check in on somebody, shoot him a Facebook message or LinkedIn, whatever. Tell, hey, just check it in. You want to know you're okay. You know, those yeah. things go a long way. Uh, they go a very long way. And I think everybody benefits from them. And um, you know, uh I, I think it's the least we could do it to say, you know, given everything else that's in front of us.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, look again, uh the book is called Lessons from the Incline. Uh again, Young Life is the organization if you guys uh want to get involved uh and help out. And it's a nationwide organization, correct?
0: Yes, actually international.
1: Yep. So yep. ways yep. to help out overall. Um best of luck to your wife, please, continued health and success, whatever. She got in Mexico, Tell her to send it along to the rest of us. Um, Seems like it's pretty good, but you know, I went down to Mexico for different reasons and I came back with something (laughs) totally different.
0: Uh, You need medication for
1: it. It's penicillin. Listen, it's been great getting to talk to you. I'm glad we finally connected. I'm glad that you did this. Uh, I I hope that you've enjoyed this and I I hope that your your family and friends will will listen to this and, and, you know, gain a little bit of a deeper appreciation for you and what you've done because I, I, I I can tell you when we chatted that there was much more there than you thought there was.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I did enjoy it. Appreciate it. And thanks for what you're doing on this show.
1: Certainly appreciate it. Jamie, thanks for being part of the hazard ground.
0: All right. Take care. You've been listening to the hazard ground podcast hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell, and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com and if you like the show don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts thanks for listening we'll see you next time